Welcome to Divorce Dialogues. I'm Katherine Miller. Divorce Dialogues brings expert guests to the airways to talk through your divorce questions and fill in the gray areas about separating. From thinking about divorce, to how to behave during divorce, to what to do after, this is Divorce Dialogues. Welcome to Divorce Dialogues. I'm Katherine Miller. I'm the founder at the Miller Law Group and director at the Center for Understanding in Conflict. And I am on a mission to change how people divorce and help them divorce with dignity. And my guest today is Christine Pittman. She's the founder of Cook the Story, where her passion is to create recipes that take less time in the kitchen, giving you more time at the table. Christine's love for cooking started early, watching and listening to her mother and grandmother in the kitchen and working in her parents' restaurants starting at the young age of 12. She was born in Canada and moved to the United States in 2010 with her now ex-husband and their first child. And while she figured out what to do with her life, she started a food blog. It was an exciting hobby and kept her connected with friends and family back home. Since then, what originally started as a hobby has turned into one of the top-ranked food blogs in the world with more than 2 million monthly readers. Welcome, Christine Pittman, to Divorce Dialogues. Hi, Catherine. Thanks for having me. So I was thinking that what the food blog and the cooking and your divorce sort of mm-hmm. merged together in your life. So can you tell us sort of how that happened and, and what it means to you? Yeah, so the food blog was definitely a business before I got divorced, but it was sort of a side business. I was mostly a stay-at-home mom supporting um, the family, child care, all of that kind of thing, and then doing the food blog on the side to just make a little bit of extra money and have something extra to be doing. But then when the divorce was looming and I realized that I needed to support the household or my new household on my own more independently, I started putting a lot more time and energy and thought into it. And that's when it really, really took off and started to grow as a bigger business. So I think that's how those things are really linked for me. How does cooking, how can, sometimes people, our guests on the on the show have really talked about how creative pursuits can really help with the process of of divorce recovery. And was that true for you, that cooking was part of the creative outlet that helped you in your recovery? I think uh, becoming a successful business owner really helped and, and showed me that I could stand on my own two feet. I think that was really true. The cooking is something that became a a bigger challenge, I think, through the divorce because I found myself suddenly needing to just cook for myself sometimes when my kids would go to their dads for, you know, the first week, the first week that they went, um, I'm cooking just for myself. So what what am I going to eat? And and not having other people's tastes and dietary requirements and things to keep in mind has become liberating. But at the time was like, well, if I don't have parameters, like what am I going to have? Or if I don't need to make sure we're eating by 6 p.m., when am I eating? Is it going to be at 11 o'clock at night? Cheese on toast? I mean, that happened a lot. So I think there was that shift and and cooking became 
So while they're just business, like it was really not a creative pursuit, the cooking was like a chore that I had to do for the business and to keep us alive in a nutritional kind of way. (laughs) Well, I guess the business too, to keep us alive. Yeah, so that was actually kind of a struggle. The cooking was sort of a, a weird part of it, whereas the the business building was where I, I think I found the creative outlet and the pursuit more. I, does that make sense? Yeah, I think what you're saying is that cooking was something that was always there and it was a necessity, but the place where you really found your creative outlet was making it into a business for yourself and creating a new identity as a business owner with the with the resources that you had. Is that right? Yeah, that that's exactly right. I feel like you've hit that perfectly. <laughs> Good. So tell us about the adjustment period for you post-divorce. How do, how, how do you think it changes people for the better? What are some of the struggles that you had? And fill us in with, on those kinds of things. Yeah, so I feel like the the adjustment, not having my kids every second week, that was, that was a huge adjustment. At first, it, it was really exciting, I guess, that I just had all of this time free. And then I slowly began using that time to figure out who I was on my own and what I wanted to do, where I wanted to go, what I wanted to eat, all of that. When when the kids weren't with me, I think that was part of the adjustment. Also, letting go of control. You know, I've been, like I said, I'd essentially been the stay-at-home mom who what I was driving them to school and back. I was taking care of all the food needs, the laundry, the doctor's visits and all of that all on my own. And so I knew exactly what was going on with them at every moment. Um, and then to suddenly not know that and not necessarily have the ability to trust my ex. He's fine. He just hasn't been the one in charge of those things for all that time. He just suddenly had to do it. And I guess I knew he was struggling. And But I, I he had to. He had to figure it out. He, he, I had to let him struggle. I was supportive, but I had to let him struggle. And I had to let myself release control over it. I think that was the hardest part of that transition. And then the like good parts of that transition, like I said, figuring out what I like. I have, you know, I went to visit a friend in Washington, D.C., right near when we first got divorced. And one of the first weeks that I didn't have my kids and uh, she was working uh, every day. So we're just hanging out at night. And one evening she says, let's order some pizza, but let's each get our own because I want to have leftovers for work. And you can have your leftovers while you're hanging out here. And I was like, okay, great. She goes, what kind of pizza do you want? And I had no idea. I had not ordered <laughs> pizza just for myself. <laughs> and to think about like, who, who are going to eat this, these leftovers? Is everybody going to want this? And even what I ended up doing, I ended up choosing a pizza. I think it was pepperoni, sausage, and mushrooms. The mushrooms, I ended up choosing because my kids don't like mushrooms and it's my only chance to get them, but not because it's actually my favorite. Like it was like, it was still sort of dependent on the kids in some weird way and not just on my own personal taste. You know what I mean? So yeah, figuring out what I liked and what I wanted was a huge part of that transition too. Yeah. I think what you're saying, Christine Pittman, is that even in the the beginning, even when Mm -hmm. You were apart from your child, your children, they still defined you. 
like even yes. in the negative, right? Like in the passive, I don't mean negative in the sense of bad, but in the sense of in the opposite, right? You chose mushroom mm-hmm. because they didn't like it, not because you did, <laughs> right? Yes, and, and yes, that, exactly. And that, that was it, right? And that that was a transition for you, as I think it is for everybody, to especially for people whose career has been raising our the children to, to go into a parenting situation where you're not with the children 24/7 which is the norm right to post divorce not to have the children with you all the time then to be able to kind of figure out who you are and how you're going to be in the world when you're not defined by what previously defined you yes exactly and i think that went into all parts of my world like that you know, I, I love to go dancing, but I hadn't been dancing in years. I hadn't stayed up late. And if I did, you know, go with friends or something, I'd book a babysitter or, you know, my husband had the kids that I want to be home. And I knew that I had to be, you know, able to do stuff with them the next day. Like, these were all concerns. And then that realization of, like, I can go out dancing and I can stay out late and nobody even knows like there's nobody that I'm responsible to or beholden to and I can just decide I mean honestly that caused some anxiety at first like I would find myself out late and I'd feel this like not even a panic attack but like a mild sort of wait I should be worrying about something right now oh I I don't need to worry about anything right now you know that kind of feeling so that was a big part of it the letting go of yes defining my life in terms terms of my kids and their needs and figuring out especially in those three weeks what how to define my life in terms of my needs and my desires i'm katherine miller and you're listening to divorce dialogues we're here on wvox 1460 a.m alternate wednesdays from 5 to 5 30 and we're also available as a podcast wherever you get podcasts and i'm talking today with christine Pittman, the founder of Cook the Story, about her post-divorce experience. And particularly right now, we're talking about readjusting a sense of who you are and in relationship to your children. And Christine, you raise an also an interesting point that a lot of our clients and other people I've spoken to go through, and that is trusting the other parent to be an adequate parent. And and that the even though you know that in your case your former husband wasn't going to do things the way you were going to do it, that it was going to be okay for the kids. So can you talk a little bit more about that? And if you have any advice for anybody who's facing that situation right now? Yeah, I mean, it's hard for sure. I, I, I like to talk about it in terms of food because I think that's accessible to everybody. One of the early things that happened, um, so I get the kids on Friday after school and they bring their lunchboxes home and I open their lunchbox every Friday and there's an empty lunchable packet inside. And, you know, I'm, I'm a food person and I care a lot about what they're eating. And it would just like crush my soul, really, that they were getting lunchables from him every day. And it took me quite a while. Like, I was just like, oh, I would not say anything to them. I'm holding it inside. Like, it's not, you know, and I didn't say anything to him because I don't know what he's going through or what he's doing. But it's like, it was bothering me. And now, like, I fast forward to now, it's been a couple of years. And the kids now, they're 13 and 9, they bring their empty lunchboxes, but they don't bring the garbage and stuff. They're better at, like, throwing that out. I have no idea what they're eating when they're at lunchtime at school. I don't know if they're throwing out the perfectly good, healthy food that I sent them. What I do know is that they're probably eating the lunchables that he sends them. And so if I'm concerned now about, like, are they getting fuel for their day, I mean, he might even be doing a better job of it than I am. I don't know. Like, are they eating the the pack of crackers more than they are the carrots and the, 
you know, multi-grain crackers or whatever it is that I'm sending with them. So kind of shifting that into, it, do I think this food is healthy enough? Shifting that from, you know, are they getting something to get them through the day? Are, are there, are there just general nutritional needs being met? And also I think, I will even say in the last few months, I've started to see my, my son is, you know, he's 13 and a half. So he's, and he's tall. He's five foot nine. He's like this big guy. He's got lots of ideas and thoughts. And I'm realizing like, He's learning so much from having these two different households with different priorities, like just in terms of nutrition or in terms of, you know, when he when he goes to college, he's going to have my ideas and my ways of cooking and preparing that he's learned from me. But he's also going to have this whole other set from his dad. When he's stressed out during exams, he might have a different set of things that he can reach for and grab and different tools and different ideas that he can make use of. And that's probably a benefit to him on that level. And I'm thinking that if that's true of food, um, it's probably true on like a whole bunch of levels for a whole bunch of different things, you know? Yes. And it must have taken you a while, Christine Pittman, to get to that place emotionally where you could have that kind of open-minded sense that having a choice of ways to approach things in the world, including but not limited to food, is a benefit to your children rather than feeling like they've been corrupted. And and so I think that what I'm asking you about is how did you get to that place that its lunchables are okay? And 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 what did you, you know, what was the process that you came to to be at peace with it? So that other people who are like, what are you kidding? Like there could be listeners out there going, lunchables, are you kidding me? <laughs> right? Yeah. I, mean, I and can't I, believe and I, that the founder of Cook the Story is okay with lunchables. <laughs> you know? and so, Don't tell anyone. <laughs> right, exactly. And so what I'm saying is like like that is a step towards inclusivity, right, of your mm-hmm. the, the father of your children's lifestyle and the choices that he made. And even though they're contradictory to what you had been doing and what you would do and what, you know, I'm imagining you value. Yeah. And I think it, it really came down to the letting go of control that I mentioned earlier, but also like picking my battles. We, we tend to be on the same page for most things, but there are things that we have not been or that I've pressured more, pushed more on and if I was going to, you know, have to send him an email or a text every single time I'm not happy with something, he'd be overwhelmed. He wouldn't listen to me anymore. You know, it's too much. As it is, I think I do send too many things this way. Not so much complaints, but like information. There's lots of information going back and forth. But yeah, that like, if I complain about every single thing that's bothering me, the things that are really important aren't going to happen. You know, like, just making sure that they're at the various extracurricular lessons and things that, that I've scheduled. You know, if I, if I send the reminder for, okay, there's guitar lessons now on Mondays at four, if he's too used to getting texts and emails from me about all kinds of stuff, that one might just slip through the cracks and then they're not going to get to these activities, which I'm also paying for. So, you know, that, that is important too. So I think it was, yeah, picking the battles, it sounds like there, there are battles going on, but like picking the, issues that are utmost importance and that even that I feel like I can exert control over from afar because you know, I really can't and realizing that my energy is being wasted on those things and 
I guess like with food, but with all sorts of stuff, if my goal is to teach my children how to be successful, thriving, healthy adults, then as long as I'm showing them those behaviors, some of them are going to sink in. And that's all that I can really do is model it. And I certainly don't want to be modeling uh, continuously antagonistic or even like bad relationship with food. Again, food is an example. You know, like if I'm, if they're seeing me critique the Lunchables all the time, I'm just bringing up bad food and food issues way too much, which is too much of an emphasis on that thing and not on, oh, let's have a snack. Let's have some fruit. Let's grab, let's grab a piece of cheese. Let's go this way, you know? So modeling the good behavior wherever I can and letting go of the control and picking the not battles, but issues that I really feel are important and that I can actually even manage to exert any control over from here. I think the pick your battles message is a really important one. And if you don't like the word battles, issues is a fine word, but everybody knows mm-hmm. what pick your battles means. It means select yes. the things that are most important that you can't have an influence over. Otherwise, you're the boy who cried wolf, and it just goes mm-hmm. into a bunch of what I think of as Charlie Brown's parents. Wah, wah, wah. Yes. And nobody hears anything. And so I think that's really good advice. I wanted to remind people that this is Divorce Dialogues, and I'm Catherine Miller. We're here on WVOX 1460 AM every other Wednesday from 5 to 5.30, or perhaps you're listening to the podcast available wherever you listen to podcasts. And I'm talking today with Christine Pittman, the founder of Cook the Story. And Christine, if people are interested in learning more about Cook the Story or you and your personal story, how can they learn more? Yeah, so definitely um, they can visit my website, cookthestory.com. I also have a podcast called Time Management Insider, where I focus on meal planning and time management strategies inside the home. And definitely divorce and my uh, dual life as a single person half the time and a parent of two kids the other half of the time comes up quite often uh, in that story. Um, those are the two best places. And then on Instagram and Facebook, I'm Cook the Story. Those are great places to find me. Thank you so much. So focusing on the single part of the single mom, moving on to new relationships. And you know, one of the things that I think is really challenging for people is how to create a new relationship. And what is the relationship between a new partner and children from a previous marriage or relationship. And so how have you managed that in in your life? Yeah, so I've been dating the same person for a while now. And at first, he didn't really come around much when the kids were here. It was a separate, you know, I think a lot of people do that. It just was a separate part of my life, and I had the space to do that because every second week, uh, the kids weren't around and, and the freedom was there. But then, especially during COVID, I mean, we ended up together a lot more, the four of us. And so that became more of an issue. And what has been key, this came more from him, I will say, than, than from me. I had, I don't even think I'd really given it a ton of thought. He really didn't want to be disciplining them. And so if there was something going on in, in, a, in a space that he didn't like, he would just walk away. And he didn't, he wouldn't really say very much. And he would, you know, maybe mention it to me later, like, hey, that kids are fighting and it sounds a bit strange or like this bothered me. But like he didn't ever become the disciplinarian about any of it. And what that meant for them, I think, is that they have another adult in their lives who is like a friend. You know, they talk a lot about 
science, we go on a lot of hikes, you know, a lot of nature. So there's, there's just a lot of conversation and fun. And this is a person who is not going to, you know, say tie up your shoelaces or, or give them any of those kinds of like parental instructions. So inadvertently, I feel like this like really nice thing has happened for my kids just because of his personality and, and the divorce. And I think, I don't know that everybody can do that. It definitely has to do with everybody's disposition and, and how that works out. But it's been, I think it's been really nice for everybody. You know, I have, my husband and I have a blended family as well. And we have been married for 21 years and we've raised four children that we each had two of from our first marriage. And we have a child together. Mm. And we thought a lot about the kinds of advice or you know guidelines that are good for step parents or other people involved in children's lives. And I think that relationship is, is less than a parent, but more than a friend, right? The person is around a lot and and can be relied on to do a lot of things and even parental duties, sometimes pick up and drop off and, you know, mm-hmm. those kinds of meal preparation, you know, and those kinds of things, but really should stop short, I think, ideally, as you, I think, agree, from mm-hmm. creating a, a disciplined situation. You shouldn't be the one. You might say, listen, your two shoelaces are tied. Be careful. But you know what? You're grounded. Right. Never. <laughs> yes. Well, you know, yeah, yeah. You know. But on the other hand, if there are things happen that you would want to know about as a parent, but in front of him, you know, it can be awkward to be in the position of reporter, you know, wait till your mother gets home. I mean, that kind of thing. And so how do you handle that that situation? You know, that it really hasn't happened. I think I think I I haven't left them alone alone super much. I'm not sure how that's worked out. It might might really just be because we were all really home for the last eighteen months. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that hasn't really happened. He has had to come and tell me the odd thing and he he said, Please don't tell them, like see if you can say that you found out a different way. Like he's been pretty careful about not wanting them to know it's coming from him. And um, I think it's because he wants to keep that relationship really easy and not feel like they're going to be tattletailed on if if they say the wrong thing. So I think that's been the extent of that. And speaking of discipline, I think one thing that's really challenging for divorced parents is how to handle disciplining the children between two homes. And, so, you know, mm-hmm. if, if you ground them, are they grounded at his house or vice versa? Do you talk about it ahead of it, have time? And maybe your children are, are young still for that kind of discipline. But have you thought about that at all, Christine? Yeah, we're trying actually very hard right now to be on the same page for discipline items. It's actually, so my kids are 13 and 9, and so the biggest the biggest thing we can do is take away their screens, you know, and that works really well. It's a great threat. It's a great, <laughs> when you actually act on it, I will say, it, it, I feel like it backfires sometimes because, well, in two ways, I was expecting them to be able to entertain themselves for a little while. Suddenly they cannot entertain themselves, but they often actually have a good time. Like they end up like going for a walk and figuring something out and doing something else instead so they have a good time. Which isn't necessarily bad. I think it's the threat of not having the the screens and then the realization that they don't have them. That kind of is the punishment. And then if they end up having a nice time, that's good. But that is mostly what we've been doing lately as our kids have gone back to school in person now and are struggling after having homeschooled for, oh my gosh, it was over a year. 
our workload was less. It's very easy to get through a curriculum and do some other fun things much easier than it is in a classroom, I think. And so their workload is heavier and, and they're struggling with that. And we've been using like limited screen times and, and different things like that. And we've been communicating about it and trying to stay on the same page with the homework and workload stuff. It's been especially tricky because we do our exchange day on Friday. So, you know, you, you get the child children back on Friday and then you look and you haven't seen them for the whole week and you've got a note from the teacher saying they didn't finish their work this week and you weren't prepared to have them. So that's been a little tricky, but we just have set some guidelines about what is the punishment when that happens. And we've let them know that the other parent is going to be doing the same thing. So I think that's working. It's early days. Yeah, I think that's that's great advice, actually. So speaking speaking also as as to the family traditions, how did you integrate your new partner into existing family traditions, and how did you manage the holidays with your ex? It's been interesting. Neither of us have family here. My family's in Canada, and his my ex's family is in England, and my boyfriend's family doesn't live nearby either. They're kind of all over the place, so there's not like a big household event happening in one place. We're able to negotiate it just between us, between what works. And, you know, it's been very simple. I said early on that Christmas morning means a lot to me, and I'd really like to have the kids Christmas morning. And he said, okay, I'll take them Christmas afternoon and, you know, spend the next day with them. And then it's been fairly smooth with that, I think mostly because we don't have the pressure from other family members with gatherings and things. It's been easier to negotiate. Yeah, I think that's good. So in our last 40 seconds or so, Christine Pittman, what are your what is your words of wisdom to somebody contemplating or just beginning the divorce process? I mean, I can't speak for everybody, but I will say it wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. I think I was really scared, and I learned that I could take care of myself and adjust, and I've discovered who I am. And so this looming horrible thing that seems like chaos and legal and everything else that can settle down to be quite beautiful and a wonderful new phase in life. Those are wonderful words. Thank you, Christine Pittman. It's been a pleasure to have you on Divorce Dialogue. Thanks for having me.